Hey, Anthem, Bert here with the next part in our teaching series through the Gospel of John. We as a church of house churches are journeying through the Gospel of John, and we've broken John up into a bunch of mini-series uh, to really hone in on some of the main themes that John is trying to tell through the life teaching, and ministry of Jesus. And so where we are at right now in the narrative is we are in that moment between Jesus entering Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, the Passover feast, the feet washing of Jesus, all of that, like that stuff, and when Jesus heads to the Garden of Gethsemane and is subsequently arrested and brought to trial. And so in this kind of weak window, in this really short time frame, are some of Jesus' most powerful and profound teachings. That's where we've titled this series Final Words because it's Jesus' like most crucial teaching and final words and last words to his disciples before things get really, really crazy when he's arrested, tried, and then crucified. And so we're in John chapter 16. If you're in a place listening or watching where you can grab your Bible and read along, please do so. And while you're turning to John chapter 16, I want to ask you a question. Has external circumstances ever dictated your internal emotional state of being? Has external circumstances ever dictated your internal emotional state of being? And the correct answer is yes, because we are all human. We are all flawed. Uh, it's the most obvious observation of all time, right? Of course, things out there tend to affect things in here. And that's not altogether bad, but what if I told you that part of Jesus' upside-down kingdom was that external circumstances don't always have to affect our internal state of being? Does that sound impossible? Or does it sound removed, stoic, robotic? In John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to have real joy. And it's a joy that, that is there regardless of external circumstances, right? This lasting and liberating joy that is found in him that doesn't actually follow the wave of external circumstances, but actually stays steady no matter what is happening out there. John chapter 16, starting in verse 16, we have this narrative where Jesus is reminding them, once again, I'm not going to be with you forever. He says, a little while, you'll see me no longer. Like, I'm going somewhere you can't come. Here's what's to come. Here's how to prepare. And what Jesus is doing is preparing them by teaching them what real joy means. So go with me in the text to John 16. We'll start at verse 16, read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and see how Jesus is teaching us and his disciples about how to find real joy. It starts in verse 16, a little while, Jesus says, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me, right? So that's kind of a, a reference to the, the cross and the resurrection, like in a little while, you're not going to see me, I'm going to go, but then don't worry, I'll, I'll be back. He said that to them multiple times. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is that? He says to us, a little while and you will not see me. In a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, which is a callback to what he said already in previous conversation. So they were saying, what does it mean, a little while? We don't know what he's talking about, right? I just love how the disciples sometimes are so relatable. We don't know what Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while you not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Now, of course, on the back end, 2,000 some odd years later, we know what Jesus is talking about. We know he's referencing the cross, 
the resurrection. We know that he is referencing this time where he will die and he will come back. But to the disciples then, they had no idea what was coming. And amidst all the hints that Jesus was dropping, they still didn't get it. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my Father, in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I have come into this world, and I am now leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciple says, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love these moments where we get to see the back and forth of Jesus with his disciples, and they don't really get it. Maybe sometimes they do get it, and Jesus is like really trying to help them understand what is going on here. But I want to call your attention to one key line. He was saying, I've said these things to you. Ask, and you will receive that your joy would be made full. And this is like a recurring motif in this particular section that Jesus is trying to help his disciples find real joy. And this is a good moment to make a bit of a distinction between two things that sometimes the world around us thinks are synonymous, joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. Sometimes we often conflate these two and think they are the same thing, when in fact they are very much not the same thing. Happiness is dependent on circumstances, right? If X happens, then I'm happy, and if Y happens, then I'm sad. And it's almost a, a binary kind of thing. And that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. We are emotionally, uh, we are emotional beings created by an emotional God. It is okay to experience happiness and sadness. I'm not downplaying happiness here. What I'm saying is happiness and joy are not the same thing, according to the Bible. Joy is far more of a mindset than an emotion. It's a way of thinking and a cognitive process rather than something we just sort of feel in our feelings. Like hope in the Bible, joy is a framework for how we see the world and respond to the inevitable challenges, setbacks, and hardships. Look at, again, in verse 20 and 22. Jesus says, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That's key. 
Sorrow does not turn into happiness because sorrow is sad, but sorrow somehow in Jesus' like biblical formula here turns into joy. And then he gives this example in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, that, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. This example of childbirth is so palpable. Now, I've never given birth my, myself, but I have been witness to three of them, Sherry, this like magnificent warrior woman in the hospital room. And there is something beautiful that comes out of all that pain. And here's what is fascinating absolutely fascinating. Sherry, uh, our two boys, uh, she, she did like no kind of painkiller medicine, no epidural, anything like that with our two boys. And, and here's the amazing thing is after the first time, she wanted to do it again a second time. And I'm convinced that the body, it's because the body doesn't remember all that when and I was in the room. I remember like the screaming. I remember the yelling. I remember the back labor. I remember all the stuff with Calvin, our firstborn. And all that seems to evaporate pretty quickly the minute she gets to hold that new baby boy in her arms. And what's astounding is round two, a year and a half later, when she is giving birth to Truman, she's right there again saying, I don't want an epidural. Because the body, the mind, it doesn't remember that kind of pain. It is the sorrow has turned into joy. Because once again, she's holding this new baby it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Jesus reminds us that something beautiful comes out of something hard. Like childbirth, joy swallows up all the sorrow and all the pain. Now, here is the problem when we think about joy and Jesus. We often expect Jesus to make us happy, not joyful. We want Jesus to make us happy and not joyful. Happy is easy. It's the right stuff at the right time, fixing the right needs or meeting the right needs, right? It's, it's, um, it's easy. And we expect Jesus to make us happy. And we expect Jesus to make us comfortable. And we expect Jesus to give us an easy life. When in fact, in this text and many others, he promises that life will be filled with hardship. And so he does not talk about being happy, which is dependent on circumstance. He talks about being joyful, which is forged through hard circumstance. Which really leads us to our second point. The first point is real joy is revealed in hard times. And the second point Jesus makes here about joy is real joy is resistant to attack. Verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The main characteristic of this joy, according to Jesus here in verse 22, is its security. No one can take it away. It cannot be robbed from you. No hard thing or no malicious person can take away your joy. They can take away your happiness. Circumstances, people, the enemy can take away your happiness. No doubt. I'm, I'm, my mind is brought to the story of Job in the Old Testament that infamous and difficult character and that story of God and Satan and Job all interacting in this very strange way, what seems like to conspire against Job's happiness to test his faith in God. And while his happiness is taken away, his joy in God is not. There's something that is forged through the hardship that happiness cannot survive, but joy is birthed in. Why is the main characteristic of joy security? 
It's because our joy is rooted in the victorious Jesus, who has, as we will see in the text, overcome the world. Paul echoes this sentiment in Romans chapter 8 when he asks, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Things are grim, according to Paul. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, in case he forgot something, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this security that we have produces like a resilient joy because it's not dependent on how we think, feel, act. It's not dependent on our external circumstances. It is wholly dependent on the God for whom we cannot be separated from. It is wholly dependent on the victorious, resurrected Jesus. And it's a joy that doesn't bend. It doesn't give up and it doesn't wither when life gets hard because it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on Jesus and his finished work. Real joy is revealed in hard times, and it's resistant to attack because it's secured in Jesus. But Jesus goes on to tell us it's restored and it's refreshed through union with him in answered prayer. Look at verses 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy would be made full. Real joy is refreshed and restored through answered prayer. A couple weeks ago, I took Calvin and Truman on like a camping trip. It's camping because we stayed in like a, one of those glamping cabins kind of thing. But that's the closest camping as I like to get. But I took the boys up and we're up camping and we're outside after dinner at night doing a fire pit and having some like boy talk conversations and we're doing s'mores. But it was a really, really windy day. We're up kind of in uh, the mountains on the way to Big Bear and it was super windy up there. So not only was it pretty cold, uh, when we're sitting outside, but we we're having a hard time getting the fire started. Right? I even brought one of those fake Duraflame logs because I did not want to mess with like <laughs> starting a fire for real. I'm just not an outdoorsy guy. This is not how I, I bring like one of those Duraflame logs that you like, all you have to do is light the wrapping paper and it just like consistently stays a beautiful fire for like three or four hours. I brought one of those because I just did not want to mess with the chaos of fire starters or trying to get anything going with potentially damp wood or anything like that. So I bring this thing up, I put it in the little fire pit, and I try to light it, but it is so windy that this Duraflame log won't even light. Now, what I don't know is off kind of around the other side of this fire pit, I hear Calvin kind of whispering, but I didn't really know what was happening. And he tells me later that night, because we did eventually get the fire going, and he said, Dad, I was praying that God would stop the wind so we could light the fire. Now, I don't, I don't know what your theology of prayer is, but I love that our kids can approach God with the small, simple things. It doesn't have to be like healing someone from cancer. It can just be, God, please let us get this fire going. And you know what the crazy thing is? He prayed that prayer, and he looked at me matter-of-factly, and he says, and God answered our prayer. We had a fire, and we did s'mores, and we did all the things. God answered our prayer. Now, what's been fun 
is that God's been building on that faith with Calvin. Because the other day, Emerson had like a bit of a runny nose. He said her nose hurt. It was maybe stuffed up or runny or something like that. And Calvin volunteers to go pray for Emerson's nose. So we're tucking her in. Sherry's tucking her in. And, you know, her nose is not feeling good or whatever. And Calvin comes over and puts his little hand on her nose. And he asks Jesus to heal Emerson's nose. And she goes to sleep, she wakes up, her nose is just fine, it doesn't hurt anymore, it's not runny or anything like that. Calvin hears about it and is ecstatic. He says, God healed Emerson. Now, here's what's happening in the life of Calvin right now. He now has an expectation that one, Jesus hears our prayers. Two, Jesus likes to heal and interact with us. And three, the next time Calvin asks for something, he has an expectation that Jesus will answer that prayer. Oh, that we could all have that kind of faith, right? But this joy that Calvin has in Jesus is being built up through answered prayer. Calvin is taking these steps in faith. God's answering these prayers, and they may seem small and insignificant, but to him it's a big deal. And God is answering these prayers. And not only is his faith being built up, and he believes that there is a God who answers his prayers and likes to interact with him, but he's joyful. It's like giving him a foundation of joy so when harder things do come, he can look back and rely on that foundation that's already been set. Real joy is much different than happiness right? Happiness, which might be a closer approximation to how the world interprets joy. Real biblical joy is actually revealed in hard times, and it doesn't go away when life gets hard like happiness does. Real joy is resistant to attack. It cannot be taken away. Circumstances can't rob you of joy. People cannot rob you of joy. The enemy cannot rob you of joy. They can rob you of happiness, Let's not conflate the two. They can rob you of happiness, but they cannot take real joy because it is secured in Jesus himself. And because Jesus is victorious, as is our joy. And it's refreshed and restored and built up through answered prayer because God listens and responds. And when we ask, he likes to give good gifts like a good father does. But finally, at the end of this scene, Jesus' final words before his infamous prayer in John chapter 17. His final words remind us that real joy is anchored in a reconciled relationship. Verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This line here is kind of like a like a joy sandwich, a little bit, right? He says, I've said these things to bring you peace, right? To to calm the anxiety, which does war with joy. (laughs) I've come to bring you peace. I've said these things to bring you peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have tribulation. You'll have trial. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What Jesus is telling us is that we can have joy no matter the circumstance because we have Jesus And Jesus has overcome the world. What might it look like to live out this truth? Like, what if we actually believed Jesus has overcome the world? So we can take heart, have peace, and real joy.
Like, how might our lives look different than before? How might our lives look different than those who do not have the same source of secure joy? What could a, I love this question, what could a community of stubbornly joyful people look like? Accomplish. What could we be in our time, in our place? What could a community of stubbornly joyful people look like? This is a question that I hope haunts us a little bit. I hope sticks with us a little bit. And before we pray, I want to invite you into maybe a bit of practice here. And take, um, right now, think about one hard thing that you were going through. And if you're not going through anything hard at the moment, man, must be must be nice to be you. I'm taking a chance here, going out on a limb, that all of us have something hard here, whether it's something at work, with a coworker or a boss, or something maybe more broad in your career, like you're feeling stuck or in a rut or visionless. Maybe it's something with your spouse or a family member. Maybe it's a difficult time in parenting. Like whatever it is, chances are you probably have something hard at the moment that is happening. Think about that. Visualize it. Like take a moment and even just like ask, maybe if you have so many, ask the Holy Spirit to help you choose one, right? Just visualize one hard thing that you are going through right now. You have that picture in mind? You have that relationship, that scenario, that situation in mind? What would it look like to find joy in that hard thing? Remember, joy is not happiness, so we're not talking about just putting on a fake smile. He said real joy is revealed in hard times. It's resistant to attack. It's refreshed through answered prayer. And it comes about in this reconciled relationship with Jesus. So it's not the same thing as happiness. You can be going through the hardest thing in the world and still find joy because joy is actually forged through those hard times. So that one hard thing that you are going through right now, what might it look like to find joy in that? So this is an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit for help because this is so counter-normative for our time, our place, our culture, and even our base instincts that in and of ourselves we want to find security, happiness, comfort, preservation, survival, all those things. It is so counter-normative. It is so upside down. We need the Holy Spirit's help. So ask the Holy Spirit for help and imagine what it might look like to find joy in that hard thing. And then second, share it with somebody. Friend, a family member, your house church, maybe those you're in a core group with or some of your close friends, like share it with someone. This is the hard thing. I think this is maybe where the Spirit is leading me to find some joy in it. Share it with them. So it's spoken, right? You're not just keeping it to yourself. You can journal it along. That's great as well too, but share it with somebody else. Like speak it out loud. Share it with somebody else. And finally, third, is just be open and available to what God wants to teach you. So being open and available may, may require a couple of things. It may require some margin, uh, time-wise, uh, I don't know, money-wise, margin in your thought life, margin in your day. It may require uh, you making space. We've been talking about this a lot as a church community, what it looks like to just make space for the Spirit to work. Often we're so busy, cluttered, 
uh, and distracted that we don't have space to hear from the Spirit. So what would it look like in that one hard thing to choose to find joy? Share it with somebody or your house, church, or trusted community and be open. Make space, create margin, be open to what God might want to teach you. That's it. That's it. Real joy is revealed in hardship. It's resistant to attack. It's refreshed through answered prayer. And it's anchored in this reconciled relationship we have with Jesus. And all that leads to one end, that we can actually find joy in a way that others who do not know Jesus cannot. So why waste the opportunity, moaning and groaning like everyone else, when you and I have been handed a tool that the world does not have? True, secure, unwavering joy in Jesus, not our circumstance. Jesus, as we sit in this moment considering what it looks like to take what might be some of the harder things we are going through and to choose to find joy in them, we just ask for your help. We ask for your help to do that because it is so not normal for us. It is so counter to the stories that we see, hear, and often believe in the world around us. We ask that you just kind of invert our expectation when something hard comes, would you help our joy radar go up? And would we not be destroyed and distraught, but would we actually see opportunity for you to do something in us? Pray that you'd give us boldness to share this process with others, to bring them in to our joy-seeking. And Jesus, we do say we want to make space to hear from you. We ask that you would teach us ultimately even what you mean by finding joy. This may be confusing and totally foreign to us. And so Jesus, as we are faithful in this moment to try to seek you and to seek joy in the midst of hard things, we ask that you would teach us what that looks like. Show us through your life. Holy Spirit, would you bring to remembrance the life and teachings of Jesus, like Jesus promises you will do. We want to make space to hear from you in the midst of hard things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.